Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 364 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is Thursday so you know exactly what that means. We are here to break down everything that happened this week across AEW and NXT. AEW beginning to zero in on its build for full gear. It's final pay-per-view of 2022. I almost called it a premium live event. While NXT is just kind of gearing up, pun not originally intended, but now let's call it purposeful, as it is building for NXT deadline in December. Still plenty of time for that, six weeks away, but nevertheless, NXT is clearly on the road to that already, setting up a number of feuds and storylines. All of that means we have plenty to talk about on today's show as we break down everything in the world of AEW and NXT. So let us not waste any more time off the jump. Allow the Silver King to remind you that getting over this podcast. And when we say we're all about the five, we mean we are all about those five-star ratings, which you can leave for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can take a couple minutes out of your life do me a solid, leave a written review on Apple Podcasts as well, a five-star written review at that. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, tell them why they should subscribe. And if you do leave a written review, we will read it live right here on the podcast. So please go ahead and do that. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Over. Cast. We tweet about wrestling all week long, including live during the major shows. Whenever we have new episodes, we announce them. Our first drop is on our Twitter account to let you know those episodes are live. Uh, we occasionally report news. We do fun stuff on there as well. And we post pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views and premium live events. And considering one is coming up Saturday afternoon in WWE Crown Jewel, you need to be following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can participate in those polls ahead of that show. Let us know what you expect from the show, what your final grade is when it's off the air, and you can even join us shortly before it begins for a live pre-show for free on Twitter Spaces. You get to talk with us about uh, WWE Crown Jewel, the matches. You hear last-minute predictions and picks. We'll obviously go over some stuff from the Go Home SmackDown, which is happening this coming Friday. And of course, we open up the mics and allow you guys to ask questions, provide comments, and just Offer your thoughts on wrestling in general. It's a great interactive experience that you can get by joining our show on Twitter Spaces and following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Okay, so with all that said, let's just get right into the show. I will tell you this week, uh, AEW, yeah, they it just didn't hit for me, folks. Um, I would say the last three weeks, maybe four, I think the three prior weeks to this one. I was loving what they were giving us from Dynamite, especially from an in-ring standpoint. You could tell storylines were a bit more cohesive. The in-ring product was incredible. Just great TV match after great TV match all show long on Dynamite. This week was just the exact opposite of the last three Dynamites. I thought the storytelling was horrendous. Uh, in many parts, there were surprises for the sake of surprises, the biggest names in the company just weren't anywhere to be found on television. And just everything that we got from top to bottom, I mean, I'll explain it more in a moment. It was incredibly frustrating. Over on NXT, 
you know, coming out of Halloween Havoc, uh, I think two weeks after Halloween Havoc now, you know, I've been hoping for a little bit deeper progression, but they did start on a track for what seems to be some in-between feuds before they fully get to the build for NXT deadline in December. So, you know, it was a little bit of a mixed bag is what I would call NXT this week. But AEW was massively disappointing. And I got to tell you, not only was Dynamite bad, I mean, we've been talking for months upon months now how just in the shitter rampages as a show on Friday nights at 10 p.m., it's gotten to the point where the last two weeks, I've legitimately forgotten to watch Rampage on my DVR. I used to always do it Wednesday afternoon, kind of as like an appetizer to get me ready for Dynamite. I've just completely forgotten about it. The last two weeks, like 7.45 p.m., I live on the East Coast, it's rolled around, and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't watch Rampage. I put it on, and I'm still able to start Dynamite by 8.15 because nothing happens on the show. It is just a total waste of one hour of television. So we're going to be breaking down Dynamite and Rampage. We're going to be breaking down NXT, all of that coming up in a moment. Just a quick reminder before we get to that, we do have timestamps in our episode descriptions. So if you only watch AEW, if you only watch NXT, you just want to hear one or the other, you can go ahead, hit the description, find the timestamp that is right for you. But as always, I do hope that you all listen to the entire show. With all of that said, we are going to start this week with AEW. And just to kind of reiterate what I just said, I know it might be a little bit repetitive, uh, but I had notes here in terms of how much I didn't like Dynamite, so allow me to go through them for you. Uh, This was, like I said, the complete opposite of the last few weeks. It was an awful show. Not a single match that happened was notable, and it's especially disappointing because the last few had been bangers, not just matches, but shows in totality. Now, I'm not against a storyline-driven episode of television. We've seen WWE do it. We've seen AEW do it before, but some of the choices that were made in terms of the storytelling were just truly dumbfounding. It was immensely repetitive with attacks, especially after matches. The women got zero ring time. The matches that we got were terrible compared to the average of what we expect from Dynamite. And while there were a few random surprises, I do grant you, I just sat there wondering why they were all jammed into one show and why it was felt that they were all necessary in the first place. You'll understand that take uh, much better as we start breaking it down. But this was just an endlessly frustrating episode with problems across the entire two hours. I'm talking about Dynamite specifically. And then when you consider that they're like two weeks away from one of their four or five, if you you count Forbidden Door, tentpole pay-per-views of the year, and only two matches are official for that pay-per-view, It's just dumbfounding to me. The interim women's champion wasn't on the show. The world champion wasn't on the show. At least he was on Rampage, to give him a little credit. MJF was nowhere to be found. We only saw Brian Danielson for five seconds when he ran in during an attack. This was like a filler episode. And you might expect this, you know, three or four weeks after a pay-per-view in a non-major city. Ticket sales don't do so well. And by the way, ticket sales did not do well here. There were less than 4,000 people, I believe, watching this Dynamite. Um, but you don't do a filler episode three weeks before a pay-per-view. It's just, it's crazy. I felt like the show was written by someone who like snorted a bunch of coke and just kept saying, you know what would be really cool? Over and over again, except none of the ideas that that person had were actually cool. That's the way this episode came off to me. So let's go ahead, break down Dynamite and Rampage in totality. Uh, We'll start a little bit with Rampage. We mix it up based on storyline, just so everyone knows, especially if you're a first-time listener. So we're going to talk about the main event type of stuff first. 
starting on Rampage, John Moxley fought Matt Menard in a non-title match. You may ask, Silver King, why did this match happen? I wish I could tell you. Mox caught Menard with the Bulldog Choke and he won in 11 minutes. I couldn't believe that Menard got 11 minutes in the ring with the AEW champion. This should have been a four or five minute match. It was ridiculous. After the bell, Stokely Hathaway came out challenging Mox to a match against Lee Moriarty. There was a corny ass promo package for Moriarty and Mox accepted it. So they're going to fight. Okay, whatever. On Rampage, Ethan Page backstage said that MJF decided to change the plans on what he wanted from the firm, but their plans didn't change. He said they made him number one contender and they were going to make him champion, but now they're focused on making sure MJF isn't 100% for the match. He also said he was entering another eliminator tournament to become the top contender after full gear. It was nice to see a great promo from a guy who actually cuts really great promos. Ethan Page has been in this company for a year, two years, however long, and everyone else has spoken for him with him whenever he does speak, just screaming for no reason whatsoever. This was probably the first regular Ethan Page promo that he's cut in AEW, and it was fantastic. This is what we want more of. On Dynamite, we had in the, that Eliminator match, Mox against Moriarty. Mox cut a promo beforehand saying Moriarty wasn't mean, nasty, or violent enough to join BCC when they were looking for members, but he would nevertheless give him a lesson in pain. The crowd got distracted mid-match when uh, Lamar Jackson apparently walked through the crowd. He was shown later sitting ringside. He didn't want to be seen on TV. Mox escaped a Motor City stretch, delivered a hammer elbows, and won with an arm bar. Uh, Page then ran down and booted Mox, Page being Ethan Page, not Hangman, just to be clear. Uh, and as, as we noted, Ethan Page is in this Eliminator tournament, so why is he attacking Mox if his title shot's not coming for presumably months at this point, right? I get the firm stuff. Why not just have the whole group beat him up again if that's what you're doing? Why just Page comes down, boots him once, and that's it? It was very odd to do that as a one-off. The match was good from a work rate standpoint, but no one really seemed to care. And Moriarty, I mean, I like him in the ring, but it just didn't do anything for me here. Later on Dynamite, Regal said MJF has a ton of potential, but a ways to go to become a real villain. I have no idea what the purpose of this promo was. Regal got a 15 or 20 second promo in the middle of the show backstage for no reason whatsoever. MJF wasn't there. He wasn't supporting Mox. It didn't come immediately after Mox's match. It... I just don't have answers for these things. It's it's incredibly strange. On Dynamite, there was a follow-up uh, Thanos snap type of video showing clips of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page winning the tag team titles before Death Triangle winning the trios titles with the Elite erased and Death Triangle taking their place in like an on-screen graphic. Just like last week, I do like the concept of these, but they're just really blatant and obvious teases. Like there's nothing notably interesting or deep about them. The elite's going to return. They're going to say, Tony Khan tried to erase us from AEW history, even though we know they're executive vice presidents and the entire fan base is smart. So they know where they, they, they got suspended. They know what happened with CM Punk. So just like, I'm okay with teases, but it, it just seems very base level, very surface level. Uh, and they're eventually going to fight Death Triangle. I'm sure they're going to, you know, take the trio's titles off of them at full gear. I'll say again, this would have been way more impactful if the Elite had just returned last week and gotten a massive pop and everyone been surprised. Like my guess is they're waiting, they being AEW, are waiting for a larger crowd because the last two shows have been really small from a fan attendance standpoint. But that's the only legitimate explanation I can get. If if not, if it's not that, then AEW's trying to do like their version of the White Rabbit, except the White Rabbit, there was plausible kind of 
deniability in that it's Bray Wyatt. People were curious and it piqued interest and therefore it generated a lot of interest. Here, these aren't getting huge social media reaction because you're just blatantly telling us what they are. It's the elite being erased and they're going to come back. We understand. Like, it's not really that inventive. So, you know, again, I like the concept. The execution of the whole thing is just weird. I would have just returned them. Get them on TV. Get your star power up. You want to build up these shows going into full gear. Why are you waiting? Why aren't you putting your big names on television? It just doesn't make any sense. Speaking of this uh, all, uh, Renee interviewed Death Triangle. Ray Phoenix was excited for his title challenge later in the show. Uh, Pac told him, Pac, Pac, whatever, told him the only way to get real revenge is to use the bell hammer. This fit well, I thought, with the ongoing Death Triangle angle, with Pac being a full heel, the Lucha Bros trying not to get influenced by him. I did think this fit within that uh, story. Commentary was also somehow surprised that a guy who has blatantly cheated to win like his last 10 matches was trying to get his teammate to cheat. They just couldn't understand why he was doing that. It didn't really make sense. So we had the All-Atlantic Championship match, Orange Cassidy defending against Ray Phoenix and Luchasaurus and another triple threat, one of these matches. Phoenix got chokeslammed into the title on the timekeeper's table. Luchasaurus caught the Orange punch, like literally with his hand on stage. He was going to chokeslam Orange when Jungle Boy ran out of nowhere, slammed him twice with a chair, chased Christian Cage backstage, and did a crossbody, taking Luchasaurus off the stage into a rig table down below. This was the single best spot I wrote here on the first 90 minutes of Dynamite. It was the best spot on the entire show. This was that moment, the crossbody, like taking him off the off the ramp or off the stage into the table. It was the best thing that happened on the entire show. Uh, Pac ran down to give Phoenix the hammer, but he just threw it aside because he didn't want to cheat. Orange then countered Phoenix, flying off the ropes with an orange punch to win. So we're now at a point where the Lucha Bros and Ray Phoenix in particular lose so frequently that he's taking a loss from Orange Cassidy of all people without even taking his finisher. That's the situation the Lucha Bros are in, in AEW. Pack immediately attacked Orange after the bell. So suddenly, Shibata, Rocky Romero, and best friends all came out. Shibata pointed at the title. Orange handed him a contract that was ready apparently to be signed. And they're now going to fight on Rampage. So like I said, the Jungle Boy thing was the best thing on the show. And the Shibata reveal was fun as hell, okay? But neither of those was actually part of the match. Like, the match involved Orange Cassidy, Ray Phoenix, and Luchasaurus. And the match was, like, short. It was kind of laughable when you consider that it didn't matter one iota. These guys last week were talking so badly about wanting a title change. Luchasaurus gets eliminated from the match. Phoenix gets beaten easily. And then Shibata shows up out of nowhere. Now, it's nice that AEW is booking Shibata in a match. I mean, that's really awesome as a fan, as a wrestling fan. I'm excited for that. But they're just... There's so many things wrong with what they're doing here. Number one, they're burying it on Rampage when this dude is a living legend. And then they book the match and commentary doesn't even like explain why it's a big deal that this guy showed up. Yes, the audience had a pretty decent reaction to it. That was good. But half of the TV audience, which isn't 2,500 people in an arena, it's a million people watching on national television, at least half the audience, maybe even more, does not know who this guy is. So who is he? Why is he getting a title match? How about you run a video package or you tell us his greatness or the adversity that he had to come back from? Anything. And then if you're going to do all this and you're going to do what I'm asking and telling about Shibata, you don't book it on Rampage in the death slot Friday at 10 p.m. You book it on next week's Dynamite because Orange Cassidy is massively popular 
And Shibata is a really big name who, if you explain it correctly, the audience is really gonna care about seeing those who don't already know who he is. So why don't you build it for a week or two, air a promo package, explain the situation. Instead, this is just another title defense for Orange Cassidy, and the All-Atlantic title is being treated like a TV title, when that was not the purpose of it. The TV title is the TNT title, which granted was defended this week. Congratulations, thank you for finally doing that. But it's barely, like, Wardlow shows up, he's involved in stuff that has nothing to do with the singles feud, for the most part. Now that's changing, which is really good news. Um, And the All-Atlantic title is being treated like that, when that's really supposed to kind of be an international title, that... Pack when he had it defended in Europe and overseas. Like, that's the cool part about having that title. So now it's just another men's roster singles title. It doesn't really mean much. It's cool that Orange carries it in a backpack. It's unique and different. And it's cool that he's defending it against Shibata. But if you don't know Shibata, which I'm assuming even many of you listening to the show probably don't, you're like, oh, cool, this guy gets a match. And I'm sure it'll be entertaining. But you have no reason to actually care about it. That's a huge problem. On Dynamite, There was a House of Black vignette that aired with the guys being wrapped in body bags before being buried, drowned, and burned by Julia Hart. Of course, they all re-emerged from them like Phoenix. Uh, This was just really well done. There's nothing to take from it, though. Like, uh, the aesthetics of the entire thing, the the videography, cinematography of it all was great. It was very eye-catching and interesting. But it's another situation like The Elite where a surprise return may have been better than just doing this. Death Triangle after that match is over, you know, or after Shibata leaves when Death Triangle's arguing in the ring, maybe House of Black shows up as baby faces or even as heels again, and they beat the shit out of them. And now you have Death Triangle, House of Black, and then the elite return, you do a triple threat. Again, there's just so many different things you can do when you do the surprise return. Think about when Malachi Black initially debuted, how exciting that was, right? They didn't do four weeks of vignettes to lead up to it. He just showed up and everyone's like, holy shit, this is crazy. That's something that they could have done here. Instead, they just kind of chose not to do it. Now, the good news of the entire thing is they're all going to be back soon. And they're all great wrestlers. You know, these are guys we badly want to see. Malachi Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews. Like, it's awesome. And I want them around. I want them on television. The trio's title is made for them. I mean, they are the perfect trio to hold those championships and be dominant heels. You build up a babyface trio that chases after them and eventually overcomes them. So I hope that they go in that direction eventually. I assume the Elite are going to win the titles off of Death Triangle, like we already talked about. Maybe House of Black can take them from the Elite, you know, three to five months down the line. That's that's what I would do, at least if I had the book. On Dynamite, Chris Jericho was fighting a former Ring of Honor champion of some kind as he defended his ROH title. Jericho and JAS on Rampage cut the exact same promo they did on Dynamite last week, challenging a former ROH champion of some kind. And then on Dynamite this week, Jericho cut the exact same promo for a third time. And then finally, we got someone answering the challenge and it was Colt Cabana. Well, I guess now that CM Punk is gone, it's safe for Colt to be in AEW again. Absolutely pathetic. But fans chanted welcome back and it did look like Colt was legitimately emotional to get that kind of response. Very happy for him personally. Colt put Jericho on his back on the top rope, but Jericho like leveraged too far. His his weight was too far on one shoulder. They both fell off the ropes really dangerously outside. It was kind of scary. In a moment, both of them were okay. Cabana avoided Judas effect and locked in the Billy Goat's curse. Jake Hager interfered to break a cover, so Cabana did a springboard moonsault 
on JAS outside. Jericho then caught him with like half of a code breaker to retain the title. Now, as a fan, again, it was nice to see Colt back given the circumstances of his ousting. And credit to the crowd for giving him a great reaction. But this flew directly in the face of all of those claims from CM Punk and Tony Khan that Colt was not removed from AEW because of Punk. Now, whether Punk requested it or whether Khan just did it on his own, knowing that it would make Punk happy not to see Colt backstage, no matter what the situation, it was a direct result of that. They finally settled the investigation for the incident that at the genesis of it, at the very beginning, was over this very topic. So they settled the investigation now. They're buying Punk out. And now Colt is back on TV. It's just proof that all of that previously was utter bullshit. And that goes into our overall problem with, you know, you, you can't necessarily be transparent about everything, but you can also not lie to your fans and to your public. Um, and when you promise you're going to be truthful and you're going to book things the way they want and listen to them and all that type of stuff, and then you just blatantly lie to their face for months upon months at a time, you get the criticism you deserve when it comes back like this. Also, the match was sloppy as hell. I really wanted to love this. I am a Colt Cabana fan. I love Chris Jericho. I thought it was a really cool booking, a really good idea to at least bring him back, despite all the things I just said. But the match was awful. Like, it was it was just really, really bad. So that's really unfortunate. Now, after the match, Jericho came up the, the ramp up to the stage. He slapped uh, Ian Rincombani, the ROH announcer. Claudio Castanoli attacked. He got beat down five on one. Then Brian Danielson helped and he got beaten down. Then Wheeler Yuta came out and everyone kind of got separated by officials and security. It was just a total mess. I assume Jericho Claudio 2 is going to happen at full gear for the ROH title. That certainly will make sense. But holy shit, do they need to end this JAS and BCC thing? It feels like this has been going on forever at this point. And this is after we already had blood and guts which should have ended the feud. I don't even know how, was that three months ago? Like, it feels like it was forever ago at this point. That happened. It should have been over then. And yet it's still freaking going. And it is just maddening that they're still doing this. On Dynamite, there was a sit-down interview scheduled between Soraya and Britt Baker with Renee. It wound up just being Soraya boasting about herself as Baker decided not to show up. So she put over AEW. She said it's cool and hip and the timing was right for her to go there. Renee asked about her health, and Soraya decided not to answer the question because there was, quote, one more doctor I want to consult on this. What? Like, she's already been physically involved in stuff. How is this still a question? And why wait six weeks or however long to address it from when she initially debuted? Like, I'm trying to think of who one more doctor could be. Like, they're not bringing in Dr. Death, rest in peace. They're not bringing in Isaac Yankum, DDS, Maybe the consultation is her attacking Baker to prove that she's cleared, but she's a dentist. I just, why promote a really interesting segment? I wanted to see this between Soraya and Britt. I was like, oh, this is really cool. They're going to do this face-to-face. Renee's going to interview them, which means it's going to be legitimate, not a Tony Schiavone interview where it's one question and someone interrupts. Like I was really excited. And then they just didn't deliver on it. So it was false advertising. And then backstage, Baker spoke to Shivani claiming that he's her interviewer and he's the only one she wants to talk with. What would have been cool is if Baker refused to do the sit down with Renee unless Tony was there. So then it was Tony asking Baker questions and Renee asking Soraya questions. 
That would have been a really cool segment. Instead, they just decided to not deliver on what they promised. They had Baker backstage with Tony. She said she's a victim of conspiracy. I still don't understand what conspiracy she's talking about. Jamie Hayter said she just wants to wrestle and they agreed to wrestle as a team on Rampage. Baker said nothing about Soraya. Hayter said nothing about Tony Storm. And then like 20 minutes later in the episode, it was announced that Tony Storm is gonna fight Jamie Hayter for the title at full gear, which is 100% the right booking and the match that every single person wants to see. So credit to them for booking the right match, but they didn't even build it. Two weeks ago on Dynamite, Tony Storm walked out, held her title up, Jamie Hayter looked at her. No promo, no storyline development, nothing. This week, Tony Storm wasn't even on the show. Jamie Hayter didn't even mention her and the title match was made. What are we doing here? Like, like, really consider this. I told you guys I was gonna be critical about AEW this week. This was a terrible, terrible show. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. On Rampage, Keith Lee fought Serpentico. Keith won with the spirit bomb in 15 seconds. Tony went to interview him, but the acclaim interrupted. There was no rap. They asked Keith where Billy Gunn was because he was missing. They accused Swerve Strickland of doing something with him. So Tony said Billy had a family emergency. Uh, The acclaim said that's not true. Then suddenly Swerve appeared on screen with Billy tied up on a chair. The idea being that he's tied up so he can't interfere in their match. At least that's what I thought the idea was. Then Swerve showed some pliers and seemed to like break his fingers with them, like in this really crazy, aggressive kidnapping abduction scenario. The whole thing was odd. It went from zero to 60 on the craziness scale for seemingly no reason. And I'm trying to figure out why a rap mogul would kidnap someone on their own and torture them. Like, wouldn't he have other people do that for him at a minimum if you were even going to do that? So then we get to Dynamite where the acclaimed came out for Billy Gunn's birthday celebration. The rap was whatever. It was most like a happy birthday for Billy. Uh, Billy Gunn had his hands wrapped. So the gimmick is that I guess he can't scissor the acclaimed because his fingers were hurt. But why does Swerve give a shit if he can do that? Why is he kidnapping him and abducting him to break his fingers so he can't do a hand gesture? Like, anyway, then, then on top of that, I guess he escaped without any explanation of how he got away when he was tied up with his fingers broken. The acclaimed revealed foam scissor hands and kept talking about scissoring while calling Billy daddy. They put him over and gave him a world's greatest daddy trophy. Anthony Bowen said he had special guests, but two of them couldn't make it and the rest weren't happy that he didn't go to their reunion. Now the crowd popped huge for that because guess what? It's a WWE reference in AEW. But I was like, what's the insult? He didn't show up. So they wouldn't show up, but they never would. Like I didn't, I didn't understand why it was a big deal for him to say it. Like I thought it was a really funny and smart reference, but I didn't understand why the crowd reacted like, oh, like it wasn't a shot. It just something that didn't happen. Anyway, then it ended with them presenting Billy Gunn adoption paperwork. Apparently they don't care about their own parents. The gun club finally came out, you know, upset that they wanted Billy Gunn to adopt them when he already has kids, obviously. And their gift was a sneak attack with a big boot from Morrissey plus a three-on-three beatdown. FTR then took their time coming out to make the save before a delayed handoff of the AEW tag team titles to the acclaimed, basically saying, hey, we want these eventually. This is the moment officially where the scissoring stuff and the daddy stuff, the daddy ass stuff for me, jumped the shark. 
I get that fans are obsessed with it all and find it funny. That's great. I'm not telling you not to like it. And I'm certainly not going to hinder your enjoyment about the entire thing. But you can't say this segment was good. The acclaimed as champions are boring as sin. They are way better chasing the title. There's just been zero juice behind them right now. And this segment was like a 10-minute joke that has already been repeated a hundred times. We get it. Scissoring. We get it. You call him daddy or daddy ass. What else is there? Take it to the next step. You know, like it, it was funny when The Rock said Poontang Pie, but it was part of a larger promo. You know, it was a little thing that he did, but it was part of him tearing down an opponent or making fun of someone or whatever. This is just one note that's being repeated over and over and over again. Plus, again, how is there no explanation about what happened with Swerve and Billy? Why didn't Billy address it or cut a promo on him? How did he get away? Isn't he pissed off that his fingers are broken? It's it, The whole thing was just totally nonsensical to me. So later in the show, Swerve was backstage with Rick Ross. Yeah, the rapper, Rick Ross, who said his goal was to make sure that Swerve was the biggest name in the wrestling industry and the top recording artist in the world. Keith came up. He was mad. They didn't respond to his texts and calls. Keith called out what Swerve has done recently from like a cheating perspective. And he also asked, hey, who was operating the camera when you kidnapped Billy? Swerve just ignored his questions. He told him to calm down. He suggested an eight-man tag next week involving the four teams I just mentioned. Keith reluctantly said okay, and he toasted with champagne to the end of the entire thing. Now, I thought this was fun. Like, it was pretty cool that Swerve is getting the rub from some of these rap names. And it's clear that AEW has reached some, I don't know if all of these rappers are under one label or one larger organization, uh, but it seems like just all of a sudden rappers are appearing on the show. And I don't, I don't hate that because I love rap music. That's the genre that I, you know, prefer when it comes to music. And a lot of the people on the show are people that I pop for. I mean, Trina popped me huge. Is she relevant in 2022? No, but I thought it was really cool that she was on the show. Rick Ross is probably the biggest and best name that they've actually put on there yet, at least from my perspective. So it was great seeing him there. I also thought that Keith calling out Swerve in a real way was a good development to their you know internal storyline, but then he immediately acquiesced to just toasting under pressure. Now, I presume what's going to happen is he's going to see Swerve cheat during their title match and he'll do something about it. They'll lose. Swerve will fully turn on him and that'll be that. Predictable, but it'll still be good when it happens. The question is, did they mention the cameraman? Because there's a reason, like Swerve has another partner where he's just going to stay in the tag team and it's going to be him and some other dude, or is that just going to be forgotten about? So I am kind of curious. So I, I, I liked this, the nuts and bolts of what this was, but as it ties into the acclaimed and that storyline, it was just a lot of holes, a lot of holes in the story. On Rampage, the TNT title was on the line, Wardlow against Matt Taven. Wardlow won easily with his powerbomb symphony. Mike Bennett took his knee out after the bell. Samoa Joe predictably made a save and then cleared the ring after that. Powerhouse Hobbs finally showed back up on television, which was great. As he walked to the ring, the embassy attacked War Joe from behind. Brian Cage took out Joe and held up the ROH TV title. Hobbs then took out Wardlow and held up the TNT title. So like, what am I supposed to say here really that, you know, hasn't already been said? It's great that Hobbs is back. And Hobbs Wardlow, I mean, talk about... Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want to see. And seemingly, that's what we're going to get to see. 
But seriously, what was this? Like, why was he with the embassy? Like, that seriously cannot be an alignment for him now, right? And this is all coming after he has finally begun to shine on his own. So hopefully they're just like helping him, but it's still an odd pairing, even if that's the case. I'll wait to see before fully criticizing, but I, I thought this was eye-rolling on Rampage. And then we go to Dynamite, and we have Samoa Joe against Brian Cage for the ROH TV title. And this was the main event, which was absolutely shocking. But it, in parts, was some of the best work that we got on the show. We got a beefy start. Cage hit a 619 and a rotating elbow off the top rope. Cage then hit like an inverted pump handle slam, which on someone Samoa Joe's size is incredibly impressive. For a false finish, Joe almost landed on his head, though. Luckily, he was okay. Joe then eventually won with the Coquina Clutch. The same people I just mentioned attacked. Wardlow made the save instead of Joe. After all the heels left, Hobbs caught Wardlow from behind with a spine buster. Then he held up the TNT title to end the entire show. So they basically did two identical segments to end consecutive shows. Same on Rampage and the same on Dynamite. And you just can't help but laugh at that. Now, the positive here is Wardlow and Hobbs is clearly going to happen. And that is going to bang. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And that is a big, meaty spectacular. Don't get it twisted. Oh, we got two big, meaty men bumping me tonight. But I still don't really understand why Hobbs is working with the embassy. And if he's not, why are you diminishing his dominance by giving... Wardlow excused beatdowns. Like, why not just have Hobbs popping out of nowhere by himself and do a spinebuster to Wardlow? Why do you need the embassy involved in the entire thing? Or I guess in this case, it would be Hobbs doing it to Samoa Joe, right? And then Wardlow coming out and Hobbs actually getting up on Wardlow, Wardlow coming, standing back and be like, holy shit, this guy can actually, you know, run with me a little bit. Let this guy get a little shine on him, especially considering he's coming out of the Ricky Starks feud, another person, by the way, who's completely absent from television. So I really love the booking of Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs. That is fantastic. How we're getting there, again, it's pretty damn frustrating. On Dynamite, Darby Allen fought Jay Lethal. Darby was selling taped ribs. After 10 minutes, Satnam Singh appeared at ringside and no-sold to Tope Suicida with Darby literally bouncing off his chest. This was a freaking awesome spot, probably the second best spot on the entire show. Uh, the referee ejected Singh from ringside after that. But suddenly, a man dressed as Sting appeared, jammed a baseball bat into Darby's gut from behind outside. The referee didn't see it. And then rolled him inside. Darby ate lethal injection with Jay Lethal getting the win. The dude then hugged the heels and was revealed to be Cole Carter from the factory. It was probably the least exciting person in a Sting mask revealing who they actually are of all time. Then, after this happens, Sting's entrance starts. So you're like, oh, okay, here comes Sting to take everyone out. And instead, a guy dressed in all black with a black cowboy hat slides into the ring, picks his head up. It's Jeff Jarrett. And he smashes a guitar over Darby's head. I said car because Darby, everything with him is cars. Smashed a guitar over Darby's head. Jarrett then grabbed a mic and cut a promo about Sting being Darby's biggest weakness. Then he said, I'm going to address all of AEW, including the delusional fans. And his address was him putting himself over, putting his family over, 
promising to leave people in body bags and then saying slap nuts. And I just had no earthly idea what this promo was about. Excalibur said he was declaring war on AEW. He is? What is he, representing Ring of Honor? Like, like, what? This was like a poor man's Dan Lambert promo. And yeah, I'm saying Jeff Jarrett was a poor man's Dan Lambert because at least when Dan Lambert cut his promos, you knew exactly what he was saying and you knew the purpose of what he was saying. And Jarrett, he was all over the place. I had no idea what he was saying. I say this 100% seriously. What the fuck was all of this? All of the talent in AEW, and we are opening Dynamite a couple weeks away from full gear with Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Satnam Singh, fucking two dimes from NXT, and Double J in 2022. What is this for? Sting versus Jarrett in 2022? Jarrett just fought Ric Flair. Now, I will say, granted, it does make sense if you were going to debut Jeff Jarrett that he would do it alongside Jay Lethal, given Lethal was the other person in that tag team match. But other than that, who gives a shit? And you have two dimes be the guy to do a Sting mask reveal. I literally laughed out loud at the absurdity of this entire thing. And I was floored that this was not only on TV, but on Dynamite and the opening segment of Dynamite at that. Maybe if this was on Rampage, I wouldn't be reacting as strongly as I am. But holy shit, you have two real hours of television per week if you're AEW. And you're doing this? Is it because Jarrett was in WWE this year and Tony needs to play another Hey, this guy, you saw him on WWE and now he's in WC, uh, sorry, and now he's in uh, AEW. That was a total slip. Uh, And now he's in AEW. Guess what? We got another one up on WWE again, even though they fired him. Just like, by the way, they fired two dimes, who was also in this segment. This is straight end of the road WCW and downward spiral TNA booking. So many random, boring, nonsensical factions and stories in AEW right now that it's just maddening. Meanwhile, Ricky Starks, Miro, and like two dozen other people can't get on television to save their lives. But thankfully, we have T. that's double J, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Luckily, we have him back on television. On Rampage, Jade Cargill cut a promo on Nyla Rose while doing pull-ups. Good visual, but nothing more than that. On Dynamite, there was a TBS title match, Jade against Marina Shafir. The bell rang as they locked up. Vicky Guerrero and Nyla came out to do live commentary on the mic during the match. Jade hit a boot and won with Jade after a couple minutes. The truck then completely missed a shot of Kiara Hogan attempting to attack Nyla, only to catch a shot instead. This was the only women's wrestling on the show, literally like three minutes, and on top of it being the only women's wrestling on the show, and on top of it only being three minutes, it was also terrible. Zero point. And you know what? I've been kind. I should have dropped some of these uh, sound drops on the Jeff Jarrett shit too, because man, that was awful as well. On Rampage, Madison Rain fought Ty Mello. This was like watching that Ronda Rousey Emma match from SmackDown on Friday. Slow as molasses. Rain threw like the worst chops I've ever seen male or female. Mello won with Ty KO in nine minutes. It was a total waste of time. It felt like 29 minutes. That's watching this match. Remember when this women's division, by the way, was undergoing an entire shakeup because of Soraya? Just as we said at the time, 
completely laughable, utter bullshit. This week for the women was as bad as it has ever been. There were a couple good matches on Dynamite recently. That's cool. But we were always getting a couple good matches on Dynamite here or there from the women. It all depended on who was actually wrestling. That doesn't change lack of storytelling, lack of interest, lack of TV time. This week was horrendous. Absolutely awful. And AEW should be embarrassed at what they did with the women this week. So yeah, um, that's it from AEW Rampage and Dynamite. I think I said enough to be candid. As you can tell, I was just legitimately angry watching AEW on Wednesday night. And again, I repeat myself for anyone thinking, oh, he's just being biased because everyone who doesn't like AEW is somehow biased one way or the other. I praised the show the last three weeks. It was great. One of, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, I think it was two weeks ago. I thought it was one of the three or four best episodes of AEW Dynamite of the entire year. This was one of the three or four worst episodes of AEW Dynamite the entire year. And it made absolutely no sense for that to be the case. Okay, let's move on to something, you know, I still have plenty of criticisms coming up for NXT, but it is a little bit more positive because it wasn't as bad as what we got this week from AEW. So let's move over to NXT. Got plenty to talk about from their two-hour show on Tuesday night. Braun Breaker opened the show five seconds into his promo, pretty deadly interrupted. They said he was boring and does the same thing after every championship win, which is, by the way, true. Wesley came in after being name-dropped. He told Braun to at least appreciate their hair. Braun agreed. And they gave Pretty Deadly the spotlight, plus an entire introduction. Braun pointed out the next part of opening a show as champion is to expect someone to challenge you for your titles. So they decided to do that, the faces. Pretty Deadly decided opening the show actually sucks, which was kind of funny. And this was just an incredibly convoluted segment. Like, PD were the clear stars of the entire thing. Braun and Wesley, they just dragged it down by not matching the charisma of the other people that were in the ring. I'm not saying it was bad. It just dragged significantly. Backstage, Brooks and Jensen with Fallon Henley wished the faces good luck, but said they were coming for the title sooner than later. Kiana James' assistant served them some papers to end the segment. Later, Mr. Stone approached Breaker, suggesting Braun was willing to fight anyone for the title, but was scared of Von Wagner. Breaker threatened that Stone should send Wagner to challenge him face-to-face the next time he wanted to say something like that. Apollo Crews backstage then reiterated he wanted to battle Breaker one-on-one, but he's not sure Braun wants it because he seems to be ducking Apollo. Wagner walked up to him and basically set the stage for what I thought was going to be a number one contendership match, and that would have been fine. Uh, I wasn't particularly excited about Wagner potentially challenging. Cruz, at least, would be fun and a legitimate threat. So then we got to the main event, which was the tag team title match, pretty deadly against Braun Breaker and Wes Lee. Breaker hit a great standing moonsault. The faces followed with a double Frankensteiner. PD had a long run with a great sequence of Wesley avoiding both of them around the ring for a hot tag to Braun. He had a flying bulldog and a one-on-two vertical suplex, a huge spot. He then used Wesley as like a shot put. NXT production then completely botched the finish. Instead of showing Breaker taking someone out by clotheslining them over the top rope, the director flashed to an empty entrance. When it switched back, Breaker was outside of the ring and the camera gave away the finish which was Carmelo Hayes running down to push Wesley off the top rope so PD could pin him and retain the titles. Wesley then took out Mello with a tope as Wagner came in and blindside breaker with a boot. Cruz watched backstage when JD McDonough came up, threatening to detach Cruz retina. So like I said, the director really screwed the pooch here, totally gave away the finish. And yeah, the finish was predictable anyway. It still would have been nice to get it right. 
No harm in booking it this way, given Mello should be Wesley's first challenger that he needs to overcome. And that also should then send Mello into the main event of NXT. Let's hope those two things happen. It also set up two other feuds. So I guess Cruz is going to face McDonough and Wagner is going to go right after Breaker. And that's probably smart to, I guess, like get it out of the way and save Apollo for NXT deadline, which would be a bigger match for that show. All in all, the wrestling was good. It was a good match. The finish was unfortunate due to the production truck. But I gotta say, it really feels like they are trying to shove Von Wagner down our throats again. And NXT, they just need to get the message. Stop trying to make Von Wagner happen. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. They've tried so many different times. That is a new sound drop. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, They've tried so many times and it just doesn't work. He doesn't have the charisma. He cannot speak. He's marginally decent in the ring, but nothing that you could build anything around. I don't even know how to compare who to compare him to at this point. So I guess let Braun beat him, get another really big win, another loss for Wagner, by the way. And then hopefully he can move on to someone better, not necessarily bigger, but someone better. Mandy Rose had her championship celebration with toxic attraction, a white carpet, a couch, waiters with champagne, photos of herself around the ring. Toxic put Mandy over and ran an extended video package for her. It was actually pretty well done. Rose made a snide comment about being pretty good for a piece of eye candy, noting that she chose to return to NXT and improve her game in all phases. Mandy said her in-ring success, ratings, and merchandise sales don't lie. She's a success and she's proving everyone wrong. Mandy said she's beaten every single woman in the division. And if anyone has a problem, to step up to her. So I was expecting like a main roster return who's going to challenge her and possibly take the title off of her. That was my expectation. Instead, some like half-assed white smoke filled the ring with Alba Fire appearing, knocking JC Jane out of the ring, putting Gigi Dolan through a table with the gory bomb and then staring at Mandy Rose. She said now that Dolan is down, she will take out Jane next week and take Rose's title from her in two weeks time. This would have been a good angle if not for the fact that Alba Fire just lost a title shot in a situation where it made no sense for her to lose because she had already negated the advantage that Toxic Traction had three-on-one by leaving them at the side of the Haunted Mansion or whatever you want to call it. So why did you have her lose that on a premium live event that was set up for her to win to just have her challenge for the title again on television in two weeks' time? I mean, if they're actually going to change the title, then that's great, but they already had the perfect opportunity to do it at a big show. Now you're just going to change it on Halloween Havoc, or I'm sorry, weeks after Halloween Havoc on TV. Alba Fire's already 0-2 to Mandy Rose. So if she loses, then she's 0-3 and completely dead in the water. And you have to call her up after that. Otherwise, there's nothing else left for her to do in NXT. If she wins, Mandy Rose still has a winning record over her. And she would definitely deserve a rematch of that situation. It just kind of feels like Alba Fire's window and her big moment passed. I'm not sure how doing this in two weeks time would get a bigger reaction than it would have in that moment at Halloween Havoc where everyone was ready for her to win and really just pop huge for it. So that's a mistake if that's the plan. Mandy's promo was good enough here. The smoke was silly. I'll tell you this, Alba better win. I'm just going to repeat it one more time. Alba Fire better win the title here or she is just, she's dead in the water. There's no other way to put it. R-Truth fought Grayson Waller. This was going well until R-Truth tried a Tope Konhiro. His head either grazed or barely missed the apron and he landed outside flat on his back, 
because he fell way short of Waller. Now I want to clarify, Waller was in the right spot and he would have caught him. R-Truth fell way short of him. He immediately grabbed his left knee. It looked like his calf seized up. Trainers came out immediately during a picture-in-picture commercial. Waller just wasted time kind of celebrated and clowning around in the ring. He even did Booker T's spin-a-rooney. When it came back to a full picture, the referee announced that Waller had won via stoppage and Truth got helped to the back with arms around two trainers while he was slowly limping. It looked like a knee injury. Uh, Waller then talked a bunch of shit after the bell. So what's important here is R-Truth. Best wishes to R-Truth. The dude is 50. I'm not saying he can't do topes and dives. He just doesn't need to. Not in 2022, not at age 50, not when you're basically a low card guy across NXT now and the main roster. You don't need to do topes. It actually looked like he hurt himself planting when he was doing the tope. So when when he was running up and planted to jump over the ropes, in that moment is where it looked like he hurt his knee. But I don't exactly know, of course, what happened. It did look like a serious knee injury. I assume we're going to find out sooner than later. You know, hopefully it's not an ACL or an MCL or something like that. But I would expect at this point for our truth to be out a number of months. It's really unfortunate. I hope he comes back. I hope this isn't it for him. Our uh, truths a Hall of Famer. He just is. And he's the last two weeks has been one of the most entertaining things across Raw and NXT because he's appeared on both of those shows. He's just been really particularly funny now that he's away from the 24-7 title picture. So, you know, it was also unfortunate because this did seem like a really good match. I'm sure Waller would have won anyway. But like I said, the key here is let's just wish him the best, R-Truth. We hope you get back soon. Uh, Zoe Stark was frustrated in the women's locker room. Indy Hartwell confronted her bad attitude, saying she should be grateful she at least gets another title match. Stark said Hartwell probably doesn't deserve one because title matches are earned. The other women separated them, and that clearly led to a match later in the show. So we had Hartwell against Stark. Zoe sprung off the ropes for a really cool twisted senton. Then she stomped Indy aggressively in the corner. That got booze. Hartwell came back with a short arm lariat. Stark threw her outside, slammed her head into the announce table, and was about to powerbomb her into the announce table before Nikita Lyons convinced her to stop. And she said, hey, don't do this. This isn't you. Beat her in the ring. So she rolled her back inside. And then as Zoe followed Indy inside, Indy caught her with a running boot and that terrible forearm from behind. It's the same finisher as Karrion Cross. Why she's doing it, I have no idea. Both of them are terrible, but she hit it again. Both of the finishers, I'm sorry, not the people, the finishers, both the finishers are terrible. Um, and she won for the upset, upset win in 10 minutes. Backstage, Stark said she's been in her head and promised Lion she would be on her game next week. Caden Carter and Katana Chance came up talking shit as the champions. Zoe was clearly on edge with Nikita holding her back again. Now, this was a really good match. It's the best India's looked in a long time, and Zoe was a huge part of that. Plus, Stark putting her over was massive, and the storytelling was on point. I feel much better now about the tag team title rematch being a reason for Stark to turn heel, either with or on Lions, and them beginning a feud potentially instead of there actually being a title change. This was one of the best things on NXT this week, at least in my opinion, and I thought the backstage segment was just as solid as what we got in the ring. Now, someone pressed play on a tape recorder saying their eyes are no longer shielded, their business is unfinished, and there's a new order of high justice coming to NXT. A paper read Justice, Authority, NXT, then the recording stopped. This was clearly T-Bar, who seems to be on his way back as his old persona, Donovan Dijak, Uh, This has never been used before in WWE. He was previously Dominic Dijakovic. 
which was just way overly complicated for no reason whatsoever. This was a little short, you know, vignette. It really worked to continue telling his story. And I don't hate the idea of someone coming in as like judge, jury, and executioner type of gimmick. I mean, that's kind of to some degree what Judgment Day is doing, but they don't really actually do that. I think um, Donovan Dijak, I got to get used to saying that. I think Dijak coming in and like determining the guilt or innocence of people and then fighting them or beating them because of it would be a really good gimmick. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but it seems like they're at least teasing it here. Uh, Thea Hale fought Kiana James. Andre Chase was pumping up Hale before the match, but she was depressed because there was no one there to carry the flag with Bodie Hayward released. This actually got an awe out of me. Like she was so sad and cute, worrying about this and sad that Bodie wasn't there. Duke Hudson busted through a paper wall, enthused to carry it uh, for them, and then ran out to the ring with the flag. Hale nearly lost, but Hudson put her foot on the bottom rope in clear view of the referee and Andre Chase. Chase yelled at him saying, we don't do that at Chase U and sent him to the back. James then caught Hale with a flip over face buster for the win in four minutes. Shout out to the finisher. Really, really good move. We talk about a lot of people in NXT needing benefit, better finishers. Uh, Keanu James doesn't. May not like the gimmick, may not like the gear and what she's doing. Finisher was great. Keep that up. After the bell, Charlie Dempsey attacked Chase with Hudson running out for the save. Hale then accepted uh, Duke Hudson's hand, helping her stand up. Booker T was downright hysterical on commentary during this match. He was questioning the accreditation of Chase U. He was mentioning how a student just left, referring to Bodie. We got the right winner. The more experienced wrestler came out on top. This just feels like a mole type of situation with like Hudson being there on behalf of James as her like business partner to steal their campus land or take over the university or I don't know, something like that. So this is actually all working for me. Hale and her youthful exuberance. It's super refreshing. Hudson seems to have like kind of found his best role since even before the NXT 2.0 rebrand started. There's a lot of positives, I thought, in this entire thing. Now, regarding the release of Bodhi, uh, he was one of four wrestlers cut. He was the only prominent name given his TV exposure. The others, I think a couple of them may have shown up on NXT Level Up, but it was really nothing. I was floored by the release, given he has great size, skill, personality. There is a report out there that this was not a performance-based release, which would certainly be unfortunate if it was true. But we have seen situations of other really talented performers that we thought would do well in WWE get released surprisingly from NXT without it being performance-based. Obviously, uh, two dimes, Troy Donovan, Cole Carter now in AEW. Uh, He was released reportedly over what was allegedly a failed drug test. So, you know, perhaps something like that happened here, or it could have been behavioral. You know, I don't want to totally speculate. Uh, We should definitely wait until we get something more reliable because I have not heard any behavioral issues specifically being present with Bodhi. And I do talk to some people in NXT relatively frequently. So it's never good to see anyone lose their job. I was surprised to see it mentioned clear as day on TV, but that's another example of times changing in WWE where they just aren't hiding certain things anymore. Uh, Vic Joseph did a sit-down interview with Schism. Ava Rain now has a red contact lens. She said, despite being around WWE her whole life, no one but Schism took the time to get to know the real her or check on her after her recent knee injury. She yelled at Vic for making assumptions about her like everyone else. Joe Gacy said Ava's not there to help them. It's their job to accept and help her. Vic read a Cameron Grimes tweet saying Ava is brainwashed. She refuted it saying she saw what he could not Schism trying to help Grimes. Next week is Grimes Gacy, supposedly for the last time. Credit where it's due because this is the second or third straight week 
where I thought the schism stuff is bad instead of terrible. Ava being part of the now faction, it, it does intrigue me. I just can't take away from like the way they speak, the conceptualization of the entire thing, the gimmick. It just doesn't work for me. That's not to say it can't turn into something. We've seen groups and factions start out as one thing and become something else. But everything they've done with Gacy, starting with the Druids and the Braun Breaker feud all the way till now, it just hasn't worked. I thought they had something initially with like woke culture and all of that. And they completely went away from it. They're doing this now. Maybe with Ava Rain there, someone more important than the rest of them, just because she is the Rock's daughter after all. Maybe there's going to be increased attention and thought and it's all going to come together, but I'm still holding out, you know, hope for that. I have no expectations. I'm very pessimistic about Schism. And yes, again, this was bad still. It just wasn't as terrible as most Schism things are. There was another voice message at the WWE Performance Center from Scripps. This one aired while someone was shown spray painting the building on a security camera. This message said, quote, you can screen my calls, but you cannot screen my fury. One by one, you all shall fall. So just let it happen as it's written on the walls. Coming to NXT almost feels like home because inside those ropes, the canvas will be the place how I express how I feel in my bones. I will leave my mark and I warn you all on my imminent start. The spray painting uh, said scripts, just the name. Again, really not much to take away from this. I, it's clearly not T-Bar or Dijak. It seems like someone else entirely. I have no idea who. It does seem to be an individual and not a group based on one person spray painting and the voicemail messages having I, not we, being said consistently. You know, it could be a red herring, perhaps. Scripps does seem like a really bad name for a wrestler. Their words to this point have had little impact. It seems like it's a poet, spray painter, creative artist type of gimmick. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what the reveal is. Uh, There were also two instances during NXT where the lights went out and the screens went to a test pattern. Vic Joseph apologized the second time it happened. And given it was identical both times, it does make me think it was purposeful. The first time it happened, I thought it was just a mistake. But the fact that it happened twice kind of makes me think it was on purpose. We're going to have to wait and see if the same thing happens next week or if it was literally just a production screw up that happened to go down two times in the same show. Valentina Feroz was backstage asking Sangha what was up with him recently. Wendy Chu took a nap on the couch behind them. Feroz said Sangha needs to be in her corner. She needs his help. He said she's strong uh, with or without him. Veer Mahan came up leading Sangha away and then Sangha apologized and said he can't be in her corner. Veer said people take kindness for weakness and that's why he's here to ensure that does not happen to him. So it's, you know, fine continuation. Still nothing to chew on that much with this. Cora Jade fought for Royce. After dodging a diving splash, Jade hit a running senton and a DDT for the win in a couple minutes. After the bell, Cora grabbed her weapon before Chu made the save. She took a shot, but got back at Jade and missed a few swings of her own. This was a rebound win for Cora, clearly setting up a new feud that she can also win with Wendy Chu. I need more, not less of Wendy. She's endlessly entertaining. The gimmick's great. She's really good in the ring. Get more Wendy Chu on my television. Tony D'Angelo and Stax were commiserating backstage. D'Angelo told Stax he had Hank Walker waiting for him next week, which he was okay with. Electra Lopez came up talking about changing the game and being a boss on her own. D'Angelo put her over, saying he expected her to succeed. I just thought it was kind of cool for NXT to acknowledge the prior relationship with D'Angelo and have him support her being off on her own, as opposed to trying to force her back with him 
now that she was back in NXT or just ignoring it altogether. So I did think that was pretty cool. Uh, Javier Bernal said Malik Blade and Idris Anofe impressed last week, but not everyone is championship material. They were standing outside Shawn Michaels' office. He said HBK granted him a match, which made the faces laugh because they knew exactly who he was fighting because the person was in Shawn Michaels' office. And that person came out and it was Odyssey Jones. It was his return match coming off 10 months of rehab following a knee injury. So he had Jones against Bernal. Odyssey hit two rolling sentons. Bernal went after the knee. Jones then caught him running the ropes with a deep six boss man style slam type of move for the win. Odyssey not only looked great overall, he moved extremely well. And he may have even trimmed down a little bit. You can tell that he used his time on the sideline to his advantage. I respect that and I appreciate that a lot. So that was NXT this week. Like I said, it was very much a mixed bag. Some really positive, strong developments, but a lot of stuff where you looked at it and you're just kind of like, why are you doing this now? Why are you trying to make this happen? Um, or, or is this really the filler feud that we need when you could probably put someone better in that spot? So again, like I said, just lots of, uh, lots of ups. Don't get me wrong, lots of positives. Also a good number of downs this week for NXT. And we already talked about AEW just being a total disappointment all three hours of television programming that we got from that brand. So that is it for this week's AEW and NXT edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Allow me to remind you that this show is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a couple moments, leave a written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you subscribe. And if you leave a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, polls, live shows on Twitter spaces. We're doing another one this Saturday, early afternoon before WWE Crown Jewel that you'll be able to join. Speaking of that, our next episode is going to come Friday, late afternoon, early evening. We're not exactly sure which just yet. We try to do instant analysis for you guys immediately after every single premium live event or pay-per-view, but these afternoon shows make it exceedingly difficult because Vintage Chris Vanini and myself are both busy with our real lives and our real work lives. So because of that, this obviously we have to do it in whatever time that we have. We will do our absolute best to get you a WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis as expeditiously as possible. We will come down Saturday, so do not miss that. And then next week, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE show, Fallout from Crown Jewel, everything that happens on Raw. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, your next AEW NXT episode. I appreciate you all joining us once again and listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It is now time for the Silver to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.